Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. the sermon I think the mum will never forget this particular Sunday sorry this particular Sunday sermon started dear Lord the minister began with arms extended towards heaven and a rapturous look on his upturned face without you we are but dust he would have continued but at that very moment a very obedient daughter who was listening leaned over to her mum and asked quite audibly in her shrill voice Mum, what is butt dust? Think about it. Right. Turn with me to John 15. You'll be blessed much more by that. John 15, chapter 1. <laughs> but I didn't know that was from uh, Lou, Lou in Oldham. So, uh, yeah, that's courtesy of the Oldham Family Church, part of New Frontiers family. All have good taste, as you can see. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, a well-known passage. If you haven't, don't worry. This is a passage that I really want you to get to know well and to become very much a friend and an encouragement to you. And Jesus had a superb way of using everyday images as a teaching aid. And you need to understand that in his day, farming, the rural economy, was a big part of life. And so it wouldn't have surprised me that they hadn't just walked past a vineyard or a vine before he started to to speak about this. And he started by saying this, 15 verse 1, chapter, uh, sorry, John's gospel. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Just notice there, God tends to the ones that aren't fruitful and to the ones that are fruitful. Even the fruitful branches get pruned. But there is a difference between being cut off and being pruned. There is a big difference. And any of you are gardeners, and I don't mean hackers, I mean gardeners, you'll know there's a massive difference between chopping something off and pruning something so that it will grow again. And even I've learned over the years to look at the growth points on what you're cutting back and cutting where that is, rather than just hacking away. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now the reality is, in the world, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things apart from Jesus. But in God's term, in eternity terms, it counts for nothing. 
and it's doing nothing for the kingdom. Now it's very important that we look at things how God looks at things. So there's all this huge energy being put out there by mankind and as far as the kingdom of God is concerned it's nothing. What a waste of effort. Apart from me you can do nothing. There's a real clue there when we look at fruitfulness. Because the converse is with me you can be fruitful. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory. Oh, sorry, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, hear this, Jesus is talking in eternal terms. When he says fruit that will last, he's talking about something that counts for eternity. Not something that just lasts for a day, a week, or a lifetime. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Now, I just want to paint a picture for you. Kay and I love going holidays in France, just like going to Morwenna. And as I was reading this, I just couldn't help but gain images of the vineyards in France. Uh, there's actually a vineyard close to Leeds. It's the most normally vineyard in the UK at the moment. Have you ever been down to uh, the vineyard? It's just about three miles from our house on the east side of Leeds, and it produces some quite nice wine. But even though vineyards are getting a little bit more popular in this country, it's still nowhere near like France. And especially in central and southern France, vineyards are everywhere outside the city area. Now in northern France, they're a bit more biased to their cider, so you get apple groves. But in central and southern France, once you get outside the cities or the major built-up areas of the towns, there are vineyards everywhere. And uh, they all come to harvest very obediently in September. And that is a really busy time in the annual farmer's life in France. And it's quite an exciting time to see. All the locals get very excited as they bring in their grapes, see how much wine they're going to get out of that. And uh, you see all the tractors busying themselves around. If you went right now to those vineyards, all you would see is rows of short, gnarled little stumps. They don't let them grow much above this height. 
and those that have been in, in the ground for many years, they're about six to eight inches diameter. They look grey. They look like they're dead as a dodo. They've got very few branches coming off, perhaps one or two main branches that they'll tend to pull out horizontally. But you look at it and it just looks like an old stump, gnarled and aged. And it looks a bit ugly to be honest. And you have to ask the question, is this thing alive? Yet because immediately after the harvest, the farmer has gone in, or the vineyard keeper, has gone in and cut it back. Lo and behold, next spring you start seeing these branches come off it. And then about May you'll start seeing these little berries coming off it. And by the time you get to September you get these huge clumps of grapes. And every year it produces. And as you know, France produces some of the best wine in the world. vineyard keeper in France would not dream of leaving the vine unpruned. If you told the vineyard keeper, don't prune the vine, he would have a heart attack and he would just laugh at you because he knows that next year you'd get half the fruit and the year after probably down to half of that again. He knows that the best way to care for that vine is to prune it back. And so, don't, one thing is, part of the normal Christian life is for God to prune his people. It's normal. Don't fear it, welcome it. Because you have a master what does it call him? Gardener. I was going to call it vineyard keeper, but let's keep biblical. My father is a gardener. God the Father is the best vineyard keeper ever. He's outstanding. He's not even just good. He's not even just Grand Crew. He is way beyond Grand Crew. And he knows exactly how to shape you and bring out the best for fruitfulness in your life. And as I'll say at the end, you have a choice. Do I cooperate with God or do I resist God? Do I say, God, bring the pruning on? Because I know it's going to bring out the best in me. Or do I resist him at every turn? Now... A vine stuck in the ground does not resist the gardener. But we've been given our own will. And I just want to say, first of all, pruning is normal in the spiritual life. Secondly, don't fear God's pruning. Because it is always for the best. And it's interesting how Bob mentioned the passage in Hebrews 12 about godly discipline. It will happen... And it's always for the best. I just want to pick out a few key points out of this passage, which I hopefully will be helpful, and then we'll summarise it and bring it all to a head. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so 
have I loved you? Now, I just want you to pick up on the remarkable depth of Jesus' love for you and me. He loves us in the same way as a father loves him. Same quality, same depth, same consistency, same faithfulness, same commitment. So I just want to ask you a question now. How much does the father love Jesus? Well, I'll write down the... <coughs> Adam, with all his being. And God's got quite a lot of being, hasn't he? Even more than me. So, uh, when we say with all his being, we need to know that he is all-powerful, eternal, omnipresent, and with every fibre of his being, he loves Jesus. Come on, more examples, because... We actually need the power of God to help us get to the full extent of God's love for us. So a few more examples are necessary for us just to clue in here. Right, so God loves, the Father loves Jesus with all his being. How else does he love him? Absolutely. Sacrificially. Immeasurably. Unconditionally. He does. Absolutely right. Come on, there's a few more around. Pleasure. With pleasure. Any more? Because all that you've just said, like if, if we're going to take Jesus at his word, which I suggest we should do, but if we're going to do that, Jesus is saying, I love you in the same way as the Father loves me. Now, if the Father loves Jesus unconditionally, with pleasure, and all the other things that we've just said. And note, the Father never has an off day. He doesn't get up in the morning and say, I just don't want to love anybody today. I've, I've been one of those days. <laughs> can't do anything with my hair. I can't do anything with my life. I'm just having one of those days. Do not speak to me. Do you think God has a day like that? No. Now we have, but God doesn't. Do you think one day he'll say, I'm really fed up with that Jesus? I'm just not going to love him as much today. I'm just going to throttle back and love him 25%. Do you think God ever has those days? God loves Jesus full on, 24-7, forever. There's not a minute of a day when God isn't loving Jesus wholeheartedly full on he never backs off he never has a day's holiday he never reduces it he never changes the parameters he never says today is conditional the rest of eternity is unconditional but Jesus today is conditional never changes to that every day he expresses his love with huge pleasure in fact huge isn't big enough unconditional pleasure Now, if we then are receiving the same love as Jesus receives from the Father, how do we get loved? Full on, 24-7, forever. Unconditional about how you feel, how you get up in the morning, how you go to bed, what kind of day you've had, 
whether you just had it at work. It is full on, 24-7, pleasurable love. Now it's so important that we grasp this. Do you remember what Dave Holden said at North, those of you at North? What did he say? What was his key phrase? Mix it with faith. Because I can see, I can see by your eyes, you're quite an expressive lot, which is great. I can see with your eyes that there's a bit of a tussle going on. Because half your brain, and uh, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not talking about the left and the right and what it controls, but part of your brain's going, I agree, I agree. And the other half is saying, I don't always feel it, I don't always feel it. Or it's not. Doesn't matter whether you feel it. Doesn't mean that Jesus has stopped loving you because you don't feel it. And this is where we mustn't base our relationship on Jesus and our feelings. Jesus doesn't say, oh, they're not feeling my love today, I will stop loving them. Because it's just wasted effort if they're not feeling it. Now, 24-7, full on, unconditional. And so I just want to encourage you, as you hear this, and this is not me making it up, this is Jesus' own words to you, coming right across 2,000 years with the same power as it had as he was speaking to the disciples. I want to encourage you to mix it with faith. I believe this. This is actually what's happening right now. As I'm listening to this guy speak, Jesus is loving me full on. In fact, he cannot love me any more because he's already full on with his love. It is already unconditional. I'll look at the characteristics of love in a second. It's already unlimited. Now if you mix that with faith, then you start to move into kingdom reality. And in verse 13, we demonstrated with the full extent of Jesus' love. What does he tell the disciples in verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now it's not that Jesus went to the cross and then decided, well I've shown them my love, I won't love them anymore. No, he loves us unlimited, full on, all the time. But one of the demonstrations to nail it for us was that he was prepared to go to the cross and lay down his life. So it's not that Jesus decided to love us once at the cross. It's that that illustrates his eternal love for us. Is that making sense? We are so British. I just had to mention British because I know we've got people from Scotland here and I'm not sure Uganda I have to apologise for the British we can hear now we can hear that we'll live full on from Jesus and still sit here relaxed, calm laid back and need I say more so I just need to because I bet if we'd have preached that in Uganda we might have had a response what do you think? Don't be 
become British. Whatever you do, please don't become British. It's going to... Right, so I hope you've grasped that. Jesus loves us with the same love as the Father loves him. It is remarkable. It's miraculous. It's phenomenal. We must never take it for granted. Because it is totally undeserved. And totally outrageous. It is outrageous. What have you done to deserve that? Nothing, if you like me. In fact, what you deserve is the exact opposite. Second thing, verse 16. We're chosen and appointed to bear fruit. This is no mistake that Jesus is making here. So in the context of this amazing love that Jesus shows to us, what he's saying is, you didn't choose me, I chose you. For all those who feel that you chose Jesus when you became a Christian, yes, you made a decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour, but he'd already chosen you. He didn't choose you to be an ornament. I've been in these houses where they buy a trinket from every holiday and weekend away. Right? Now, if you're there, I don't want to go too far. Right? (laughs) But I've been in those houses and the houses are just full of ornaments and trinkets that remind them of every holiday. And we've got bits and pieces like that, so please don't get me wrong. We... We, we actually threw away what very early... If you've ever been to the Isle of Wight, you can go to Allen Bay, and they've got all these different coloured sands. And they give you a choice of about a thousand different glass receptacles that you can fill with a different sand. We actually... It, it retired into the garage loft, which means it's never going to be seen again. Uh, that was probably 20, 20 years ago, that holiday. God doesn't say... On that day, I saved Bob, and he's going to be a really nice ornament on my mantelpiece. Now, you can imagine the size of the mantelpiece, but... Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bob. <laughs> he did not... Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Just for the tape, I really meant the size of his heart. Actually, no, I didn't. I've got to be honest, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's much better than mine. (laughs) God did not choose us, or Jesus did not choose us to be ornaments. He did not choose us to be some kind of medals to hang up on the wall to say, look what I've done in my life. I saved all these people. He chose us and saved us to bear fruit. Ah, now. Just at the point where you were all making eye contact with me, half of them went down. Interesting body language. Sorry to make you feel uncomfortable. These are not my words. This is Jesus. I want you to imagine now, not me, but Jesus speaking these words right directly. I chose you. Put your name there. Just imagine that if it helps you to close your eyes, you don't have to make contact, eye contact at this moment. Right, but if it just helps you imagine, Jesus speaking to you, I chose, put your name in, to bear fruit. Now he loves you first, 
unconditionally, unlimited. We'll also talk about friendship in a second. But he also chose you to bear fruit. And that's not just for leaders like Owen and Morwenna. It doesn't say, I chose some of you who will go into leadership to bear fruit for me. It's absolutely clear that this applies to every one of his disciples. Crystal clear. No exception. God's passion and heart is for every disciple to bear fruit. It's his expectation. It's the calling on us. It's the natural thing. The farmers in France, if their vine does not bear fruit, they will dig it out and put another one in. Because their expectation is that that vine is going to produce grapes. That's the only reason they grow them. And you know what? It's normal for vines to produce grapes. It's in their DNA. Seriously, it's in their DNA to produce grapes. It's in the DNA of every born-again Christian to bear fruit for God. It's in the DNA. It's what they do. It's what vines do. It's what Christians do. You say, well, I don't. Yes, you can, because it's in your DNA. Now let the gardener get to work to help it happen. Because that's his expectation, that's his intent, that's your calling. And interestingly enough, what's the word used here? Appointed. This is the same word as if you appointed an ambassador. Or you appointed somebody to serve. So if the Prime Minister appoints a a member of uh, parliament no he doesn't appoint the member of parliament but if he, a member of the cabinet he appoints the member of the cabinet this is exactly the same word God has appointed you to bear fruit given you the position the role so it's not just that it's an expectation it's an appointment to bear fruit So there's no first and second class Christian. There's no first and second class branch. There's not some will that bear fruit and others won't. We all are appointed to bear fruit. And fruit that will last. Now keep mixing with faith. I'm not a mind reader. Right? But one or two may be saying... Yeah, yeah, that applies to so-and-so, but it doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. It really does apply to you. So the question begs itself, what does this fruit look like? Actually, there's a lot in this passage that tells us what this fruit looks like. Verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. What's fascinating, obedience in our society is not a fashionable or PC word to use. But Jesus was never bothered about that. 
obedience is fashionable and is absolutely the norm in the kingdom of God. And so, you'll notice that it's the fruit that we're talking about. So this fruit has different characteristics. So, my son, Chris, he's been on wine tasting courses now. He's developed quite a palate. And he can pick up a wine. And before you know, Kay and I can perhaps pick up two. And if we're really good... We can pick up three flavours. So it's like, oh, a bit of chocolate in there. I can taste the melon. And you, you all sound rather clever. Chris goes on to six, seven tastes. And I think he's making it up by that time. <laughs> can you taste the grass in it, Dad? No. <laughs> can you taste that coffee? Uh, no. <laughs> now, I'm sure there, oh, there's a whole group of people deluded because he's actually passed tests on this now perhaps they are all deluded but what's crystal clear and I can just tell from the minor knowledge that Kay and I have is that when I taste a wine you can actually taste different tastes as part of that wine there are some wines where you can taste melon or what tastes like melon and he does taste a bit chocolatey or he can taste a bit coffee or all sorts of things and so even in one fruit you can have different tastes and so what I'm trying to draw out here is what does biblical fruit or kingdom fruit look like it has different characteristics but it's meant to be a package deal not just one or two so one characteristic is obedience look how Paul talks about this Romans 1.5 you don't have to zip with me there but in his introduction to Romans he just throws in this incredibly telling comment through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to what? anybody there? The obedience that comes from faith. The natural expectation of Paul was that when somebody took a step of faith and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, one of the natural responses was obedience to that same Lord and Saviour. In fact, we're, more, we're not as used to using the term Lord as they would have been. See, the whole Roman Empire at that time would have been led by Caesar and there was a growing movement that actually matured after Christ's death that elevated Caesar to God and he was just beginning to really press in it was already at the point where Caesar was the most powerful person on earth but they actually became a cult that began to see Caesar as God and it was that challenge when the Christians had to either kneel to Caesar or kneel to God, where they kneeled to God and many of them lost their lives because of that. But they refused to acknowledge that Caesar was their Lord. But the absolute understanding was if somebody was your Lord, that's the person you would obey. Because that was the big thing for Caesar. If he was your Lord, you obeyed him. As Sunday follows Saturday... Lordship leads to obedience. That's what you do. You obeyed your Lord. 
So the most natural thing for Paul to say is that the obedience that comes from faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that his apostleship was to call people from the Gentile world to that obedience. Not, not to namby-pamby Christian life, but to obedience. And over the years, the church in this country, I cannot speak for other countries, but in this country, managed to separate obedience from Christianity. As if they were two separate things. Absolute nonsense. Being a Christian meant that you obeyed Christ. And you followed Christ. It was a package deal. It was all the same. In fact, can't be divided. So, one of the characteristics of bearing fruit is an obedient lifestyle. In fact, John, the author of the Gospel, as you know, wrote a few letters. And in his letter, 1 John, 5 verse 3, virtually repeats what he wrote in his Gospel. This is love for God. And what do you think he says? To obey his commands. <laughs> this is love for God. To obey him. You may say, how do I love God? Step one, obey everything he says. Do you know what I like? A simple gospel. I do. All these people who try to make it really complex, I don't think it's very helpful. I think the gospel's dead easy. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus, the Son of God, came down to save sinners. He can help me. I make a decision. Please can I have that help. I then get born again through a remarkable thing that he's achieved on my part. Because he's given me new life, I now obey him as my Lord. Now, it doesn't get any simpler than that. And can I say, please don't try to overcomplicate the Christian life. Please don't make it a bit messy. It's dead simple. If Jesus is now your Lord, obey what he says. And one of the main ways you'll find out what he says is to read this and put it into action. So, obedience is part of the fruit. Verse 11, where I referred to Henry Tyler's book. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I am still on a mission to save all miserable Christians. Because it is not biblical. There are times when we will weep. Because we live in a fallen world and things that hurt will happen. And we will be left in situations where we do have to face tragedy, death, hurt, disappointment. We will have to face that. I am not talking about a plastic smile in the face of bereavement. But I am talking about a natural joy that is just there all the time. And when it's not under the yoke of bereavement, can't help but push out. And even when you are facing bereavement, you can still rest in the joy of God. In fact, in Nehemiah, he tells us that the joy of God is our strength. He can actually strengthen you. 
This is no weak joy. This is not the kind of joy where if you watch Paul Merton on the TV and you have a laugh, right? And you think, what a great comedian Paul Merton is. And then you face a challenge the following day. It's not Paul Merton that's going to get you through it. But this joy is going to give you strength to live life and be victorious. This is grown-up joy. This is strong joy. This is str- gives you endurance, patience, and it actually makes you happy. Even British have found this to be true. It's true. Even Scotsmen. Do you know, I've, I've even heard they can open a Scotsman's wallet, but that could just be rumours. <laughs> Well done, well done, Bob. Now, but if if Christians don't have joy, I tell you, it is bad news for the rest of the world. It really is. If there's no joy in Christians, that's that's it. If there's no joy in a church, what I look for when I come into a church, I look for certain characteristics. One, the presence of God. Because the reality is you're not a church if you haven't got the presence of God. He is our distinguishing feature. No God, no church. I come in, I look at other things, and I'm not going to give you a big list. But one of them is their joy. Is there this joy that Jesus gives to his disciples and makes their joy complete? He doesn't just give you a, a drop and say, taste that, and you think, oh, that's great. Now you've got to wait till heaven. No, he gives it you complete now. Or Jesus was lying. <laughs> just for the tape, I'm not saying that Jesus was lying. But he, he can, he's either right or wrong. He's still mixing this with faith. It's only half past eight, so we've got loads of time yet. Now, I am aware of time. Yeah, exactly. So actually, it's only half past seven, so it's brilliant. Not even breakfast, that's what I like. Verse 12, love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, just follow this through. Jesus loves us, let's get the position right, as the Father has loved him. He loves us. Now he's saying, as we've received from Jesus, so love each other. Which means, unconditional, unlimited, 24-7, full on. Exactly! In spite of the mud, rain and everything else at North. Now, isn't that a high goal that Jesus set us. Love one another as I have loved you. Now I tell you what, that is a high goal. Now I'm not saying I love like that all the time, but that's my passion. I want to be there. I want to fulfill that command on my life to love one another as Jesus loves me. I know how Jesus loves me and I want to be as good as I can in passing on. So obedience, joy, love, 
characteristics of the fruit. I know some of you will be thinking of a particular passage in a second, but just before we get there. Now, let's go to it. 1 Corinthians 13. People trundle this out at weddings. And actually, this is not a wedding passage. This is actually a passage about the lifestyle of the community of God in the context of being spirit-filled. And it's actually talking about an unnatural love. This love, right, the Greek word for this, it's not found in natural people. It is the love that's in God that's imparted to spirit-filled Christians. It's very important. There are, there are in, the, in the Greek, you have three or four words for love, which in English we don't have 